We are on Sunday mornings continuing our series that is part of the theme that we have been discussing for the entire year of 2015. That theme is to walk worthy of your calling. It comes from our theme verse, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. You shouldn't even have to turn there by now. You ought to have it etched right here where Paul says, I, therefore a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And so we have been endeavoring in 2015 to talk about this idea of calling. And we've talked about our individual calling, uh, what our purpose is, what God has called us to, and how we understand that. We've talked about our calling as the body here at Northside. We've talked about our calling within our own biological families. And this summer, we are in a series called Laying Aside, where we look at our calling toward practical holiness. And we've already uh, explained that that goes beyond positional holiness. In other words, once you're in Christ, how does holiness play out on a practical day-to-day, Monday-through-Saturday kind of level? Okay, And so we have been looking at very specific things, and these are not things that we've said are salvation issues, but are things that once you are saved, you'll learn to do better. And so we've talked about temptation, we've talked about how we dress, we've talked about uh, how we use, today we're talking about how we use our words, we've talked about materialism, we've talked about sexuality, we've gotten very much into the weeds, as they say, in terms of specifics. And this comes from our theme verse, which is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, where we, therefore, are called, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we are surrounded by them, and therefore let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. And so it is our hope That as we go through this series on holiness, that your uh, day-to-day lives, behaviors, thinking, attitudes are changing as a result of these discussions. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Rubber baby buggy bumpers, rubber baby buggy bumpers, rubber baby buggy bumpers, rubber baby buggy bumpers. Unique New York, unique New York, unique New York, unique New York, unique New York. If you happen to rock past my office on a Sunday morning, maybe between class and worship or right at the end of class, you might hear those phrases coming out of my office. The reason is, is because I am learning to speak professionally. And as you learn to speak professionally... One thing you quickly figure out is one of the hardest things in the world to do is to train your tongue. Now, that's not just true of people who speak professionally. That is true of everyone. You ever have a case of the severe word regrets? The moments where you say the thing that some part of your brain thought, that's brilliant, say it. Ship it down to the mouth department. The mouth department goes, I don't think we should say it. We're shipping it out. And as it passes over your lips, you think, ah, that was probably not the right thing to say. We've all had those moments of word regret. Foot-in-mouth-itis, as they say. 
Uh, I've got lots of stories. I was trying to pick just one is my problem. Decided to tell you one that happened so long ago, I hope none of you remember it. But it actually happened on this very stage, behind this very pulpit, on a Wednesday night. On Wednesday nights, we used to do verbal announcements. Sandy would print out a list of things that needed to be said from the pulpit. Things that needed to be said before we began the devotional. And now you come on Wednesday night, and it's a PowerPoint. You know, you've got the slides and read those and so forth. We don't do that anymore. And so every Wednesday afternoon, she would print out a list of announcements for me to read. I would tuck that away into my pocket and as I went around Wednesday, 6.45, 6.50, 6.55, before we began, I would be talking to people. And occasionally, someone would come up to me and say, hey, I have an announcement. And they'd give me the particulars. I, my, my job was to take out the announcement sheet, write them down, and then say that dutifully. This particular Wednesday, I had my brain in two or three different places. And I was rushing around, and I, we had a couple of youth events going on. Some teenagers needed to talk to me. And in the middle of all this hustle and bustle comes Brian Middleton. And when Brian approaches you, you stop whatever you're doing. I have an announcement. Yes, Brian. And he proceeded to tell me the announcement about brother so-and-so. Now, I say that he told me the announcement. I know that he did. I know he said the words that I was to say, but only part of that reached my brain. I only wrote down on this announcement sheet, brother so-and-so. I fold it up. Thank you, Brian. I'll handle it. I go up on stage. Welcome to Wednesday night service. We're glad you're here. Before we begin tonight... We have a few announcements. Blah, 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 blah. I come down to the end of the sheet where I see now only the name of brother so-and-so. And I realize I have a problem. I have to make a public announcement, and I have no idea what I am supposed to say about brother so-and-so. Well, and one more final announcement before we go into the devotional tonight. It seems as though we have an announcement concerning brother so-and-so. I am looking now directly at Brian in hopes that he has trained himself in the art of telepathy, that he can somehow beam these words to my brain, which I must say. Not hearing any voices in my head, I say, I believe brother so-and-so is sick? <laughs> the response I get. <laughs> I'm going to guess that brother so-and-so needs our prayers. <laughs> just, just a word, Brian. Now, you see, in my brain, the part of me that realizes I'm speaking to three or four hundred people has shut off. And now I'm having a conversation with just me and Brian. I say, so is brother so-and-so in the hospital? He's shaking his head so hard his beard is moving, which is 
bad. Again, I'm only talking to Brian. I say, is he dead? (laughs) To which Brian... Brother, brother so-and-so has has passed away. Well, folks, you heard it here first. We've all had a case of the word regrets. When you said something, and if only you had the momentary ability to recall all the stupidity back in your mouth, you could undo so much hurt. And difficulty. I called Brian last night. I said, can you remember the name of brother so-and-so? Because I'm sure whoever that guy was, that if I told that story, it might hurt their feelings deeply. I didn't mean to. It was a faux pas. But you see, the hardest thing to do in the world is to train your tongue. And James said, no man can train the tongue. No man can tame it. No man can keep control of it. We have to work on it, whether you are as worldly as they come or you've been a Christian your whole life. We struggle with the tongue. I'd like to share with you some of Grandma's wisdom. My grandmother passed away several years ago. But before she passed away, I think it was about when I was in high school, sophomore or junior, we were having a discussion. And I know this is hard for many of you to believe, but I may have been having some words At that time with my mother. As a teenager, I may have been having some attitude with my mother. And so my grandmother is trying to impart some wisdom to me. And how she did it was by telling the story of herself and Grandpa Jack. I never knew Grandpa Jack. Grandpa Jack died when I was about two years old. But she said, Grandpa Jack and I never fought. I said, you're kidding. She said, no, we never did. When we were very young and married, we had other friends who were young and married. And we had been young and married enough that we were starting to have bickering and fighting amongst each other. And so the wives would get together and we'd talk about what we were fighting with our husbands. And I never had anything to say because we were never fighting and arguing and bickering. So she said, I asked your Grandpa Jack, why is it that we never fight and argue and bicker? Grandpa Jack said this. He said, Barbara, there is nothing that is so bad that it's worth arguing over. I would rather say nothing than risk saying something to you that could hurt you that I would regret for the rest of my life. Because you see, anything that I say, whether it's in a moment of rashness, a moment of anger, a fight, can never ever Be unsaid. And then she looked at me wistfully and said, Toby, remember, whatever you say cannot be unsaid. Now, you can say you're sorry for those words. You can repent and never say them again. But you can't unsay the words which bring pain. I'll prove it to you. I want you to to go ahead and write on your handout, but I want you to write using the pencil provided by the church. 
in front of you. Go ahead. Please. I'll stand here awkwardly until I see everyone participating. Now that you have those pencils in hand, I want you to write down one thing that you remember someone saying to you that was mean, rude, hurtful, unkind, or untrue. Go ahead, write it down right now. There's a reason that you have something to write. Because words have power. And whoever said sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me, was a liar or stupid. Because words cut. They sink deep in. And they never leave us. A couple of days ago, I was on Facebook. I'm part of a Mulvane High School alumni group. And occasionally people will post pictures or memories and things in that group. Just a couple of days ago, some people who were in my class, class of 1996, they were on the cheerleading team. They were at a cheerleading competition of some sort. They posted a picture of this, their, their group. And below the comments were, do you remember the girls from the other school and how mean and the things that they said? Now, folks, this is 20 years later. And they were recalling them like they had just happened. The reason I had you use the church golf pencils is because you can't erase those words. The same is true with most of the words in our hearts. You can't erase those things. They stick with us forever. Now, it goes worse than that. I want you to think about Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37, which is the uh, alternate reading from Luke that was just read for us. Jesus said these words, <clears throat> Matthew 12, 36 and 37. But I tell you, that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be uh, acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. We can all relate deeply to the words that have been spoken to us, but can I turn this around for just a minute? Because there have been times when you have said something to someone else. And it stuck, it wounded, it, it cut. And you don't even remember it. It's a thing that just, it was just said in passing, just said in joking, just said on, on a moment's notice. And that thing that you said stuck with them and it stays with them to this day. When you go to your 20-year reunion, or 30-year, or 40-year, or 50-year reunion, there will be people there who remember things you said all those years ago. And my question for you is this. What kind of memory did you leave? Did they hear Christ? Did they hear His mercy, His love, 
his grace, his hope? Or did they hear the world? Did they hear meanness? Did they hear selfishness? Did they hear arrogance and pride? What did they hear? What would would they write this morning that you said? By your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. The Bible has a lot to say about a little part of your body called the tongue. And the first thing it says is this. The best way to use your tongue is don't. Many are the verses that speak about the wisdom of holding it. I've put a few down. You can follow along or turn there if you like. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. When words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 28. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue which is similar to the proverb I've always known, which is better to be thought a fool and be silent than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. And Proverbs chapter 21, verse 23 says, He who guards his mouth and his tongue saves himself from calamity. Rarer, in fact, I can just say never, has been the time When I've regretted keeping my mouth shut. But many are the times which I have said too much and regretted it. It affects our relationships. It affects our job. It affects our families, our relationship with our spouse, even even our church life. By the way which we use our tongue and which we don't. James says, this is an actual phrase in the Bible. James says that your religion is worthless. Can you believe it says that right in the Bible? Your religion is worthless. I mean, shut everything down, let's head out, shut all the lights off, lock the doors. Religion is worthless. That's in the Bible. Okay, go to James one twenty six. James one twenty six does say your religion is worthless. A little bit of context would help. Your religion, James says, a man's religion is the faith which he holds, the belief about God that he has. And what James says is, if anyone considers himself religious, and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue. He deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. You can't be a Christian if you can't control your tongue, is what James is effectively saying. If you can't learn to do it, then you might as well not try because you're going to turn more people away from Christ by the things which you say which are so unchristlike. You might as well just not be religious at all. Let's look at another verse from James chapter 1. Just go up seven or eight verses. 
He says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. This was wisdom imparted to me by my great aunt. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to wrath. I've carried that verse in here and I've tried to practice it because I think it's one of the best, most practical pieces. If you're a new Christian, memorize James 1, 19 and 20. Be quick to listen, be slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Be quick to listen. Do you know I believe we would bring more people to Christ if we would stop thinking about what we have to say next and instead start listening? You want to be a great conversationalist? Close your mouth. Nod. Ask questions. Without any agenda. If you want to understand a person's heart, just listen to the things which they say. It is amazing to me the things which I hear people say and they say, they'll say something and they go, <laughs> many a truth is said in jest. If I'll just listen. If you want to be a better husband or a better wife, just listen. Learn the art of listening well, and you will do very well. Because the most, the, the, the most common complaint that people hear is they do not feel heard. They feel like is listening. So listen well. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. And we could remember the lesson of my grandma Moore, or we could learn the lesson of the toothpaste. Grant, come here. Now, there are times in which you have something to say. You need to give a person a piece of your mind. And that's good, because you've been thinking about it a while, too. And you're pretty smart, and you've figured out every angle and everything. What they say, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say that, I'm going to say that. You stay up late at night thinking, I'm going to say this, I'm going to do And if they say that, well, then I'll say this. And you have it perfectly planned out, everything you're going to say. And then the most amazing thing in the world happened. God gives you the opportunity. But maybe it's not God who gives you the opportunity. And you have the opportunity and you, you have all this stuff within your mind that you want to say. And so you just unleash it. And it is coming out. I mean, you just take everything out and you empty yourself. And you get rid of all that wrath. And you tell them off. And you show them who's who. And you tell them everything you need to say. And you empty them while your words. And you just unload with the double-barreled shotgun of your mouth. And you let them have it. And then give it a couple more squeezes just for good measure. And you empty yourself, and now you have a mess. Now, Grant, I need to just do one more thing, because I know you feel kind of bad, and you're walking away. Maybe you said a little too much more than you should have. Of course, your breath is fresh, but you have just unloaded onto them, and now you kind of got, you've got to go back to work with them tomorrow, or you, you've got to go back home to see, and, and you're going to have to put some of those words back in. Can you do that for me? 
You're exactly right. Thank you, Grant, for illustrating to us that when we unload from the mouth, we can't put those things back in. Remember, Jesus said it is out of the overflow of the mouth of the heart that the mouth speaks. You can't put back in. You can't get those words back in there. It's all from the overflow. Oh, the times we wish we could put the toothpaste back in the tube, but we are not able to. Joshua Oakley, as many of you know, is in a hospital. And how do they know what's going on with his heart? How do they know? They take an instrument called a stethoscope that plugs right into the ears and they put it right down on the heart. And what do they do? Does the doctor say, hey, I, I want to tell you about what's going on in your heart. No, they just... And they listen. You want to know what's going on in a person's heart? Just listen to the words coming out of their mouth. And we'll learn a lesson about what we need, how we need to be. James goes on to say in James chapter 3 that your tongue is like fire. Now that's a good thing and a bad thing. Turn to James chapter 3 verses 5 and 6. James 3, 5 and 6. He says... And he makes several word pictures here, so we're just going to pick one. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Think about forest fires that happen so frequently these days. Thousands of acres burnt up, homes destroyed, lives turned upside down because of what? Because that started from one small cigarette, one small spark, one small ember not put out. He says, that's your tongue. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. A fire can provide one of two things. One is soothing warmth. The other is scarring burns. And both are very real. We've all experienced the soothing warmth of an encouraging word, a thoughtful thing, apples of gold in settings of silver, the scripture says. Someone who comes up to you at just the right moment and says, I just want you to know I, I love you and I'm praying for you. Someone who comes up and says, I know exactly what you're going through and I just want you to know. Someone who who says, hey, it's good to see you. I'm glad you're here. We also know scarring burns. We know the, 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 the damage left behind of structures and trees and things when there's a forest fire. But what about people? One of the worst kind of things that you can happen, one of the most painful things, is to get a burn. James says that your tongue can do that. Your tongue can burn a person so bad that it scars them. That years later, when some young punk kid asks them to write down the most hurtful thing they can remember, it's your words they write. So I'm going to give you some warnings, and I'm going to do that in terms of people. And I want to give you some warnings, and I want to do that in terms of Scripture. We're not going to be able to go through all the Scripture due to time, but I hope you'll look them up. Because the warnings against using the tongue as a tool of 
hurt towards other people are very, is very real. Your tongue can bring the soothing warmth of praise. I think of people like Drew Lowry. Drew's a great guy. He'll give anything for you. And I've almost never heard him with an unpositive attitude or an unkind thing to say. Or people like Russie and Willow Rose Dennis, who are so loving and giving, and when you talk to them, they've always got something good to say or to share. The scarring burn, well, that could be cursing and criticism. Galatians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15 is a verse you want to write down, but we, we ought not to bite and devour one another. You can bring the soothing warmth of encouragement, and I think of... One of my favorites is Rose Shady. Rose is such a tremendous encourager. She just overflows with encouraging words. She smiles, she's bubbly, and it's always something positive to say. Or Mike Yolman. I mean, Mike Yolman was sitting in the back this morning, uh, right between class and worship, and he said, Hey, Toby, how you doing? So, you preaching today? I said, Yeah, I'm preaching. He said, Oh, that's, that's good to hear. You're going to do great. Mike's an encourager. He's a Barnabas. Or you can suffer the scarring burns of gossip. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 19 says, A gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid a man or woman who talks too much. I know some people don't see gossip as that big of a deal. But it is a huge deal. I think it keeps people from becoming Christians. I think it drives people who've been Christians away from the church. If you are a part of a conversation and it goes into gossip, you need to just step away. Just walk backwards and say, I, don't, I need to avoid you. Because that person, as soon as you walk away from them, what are they going to do? Oh, what's their problem? We don't know. They've been acting that way for a long time. Gossipers are always gossiping. Avoid them. And if you're at Northside and someone starts gossiping, you say, hey, that's not how we are at Northside. You might find other dysfunctional churches, but you will not. That won't fly here. Here's a good test for gossip. Because we've got to talk about other people. It does happen. Here's a good test for gossip. Years ago, I was at a leadership training for Christ at another church. And I was a youth minister there, and they, they had all these events and stuff, and they had the adult sponsor room. So I was walking around going to the events, and I walked into that room and got a, a cookie and a drink or something, and I just walked up to these two ladies who were talking. I didn't know what they were talking about. I just walked up. And instantly, you know what they did? They stopped talking. It looked like two deer caught in the headlights. I thought, well, that's interesting. So I walked away chewing on my cookie. I wonder what they were talking about. Oh, I know what they were talking about. And you do too. Avoid those type of people. Here's how you know if it's gossip. If that person about which you were talking walked right up to you and you instantly needed to change the conversation or stop talking in the way you were talking, gossip. Stop it. It is the language of the devil. It's how he works to twist and divide and hurt and sink 
the kingdom of God into the realm of the world. We expect that where we go to work. We expect that in areas of the world. We should not expect that at church. And if you are a gossiper, you need to repent. And you need, more importantly, to be quiet. Number three, you can bring the soothing warmth of tact. Jacob Deffenbaugh did a wonderful devotional at the uh, teen, teen camp devotional end of summer. And he came up and he just did a wonderful lesson. All of them did. Jacob has, as I watched him grow and mature, has done a tremendous job. And I think has a tremendous potential of being a great speaker. But it's not just what he says up here. It's what he says when you're talking to him. And he says just exactly the right thing in the right way. Or you can bring the scarring burn of obscenity. Proverbs 12 verse 18 says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And lastly, you can bring the soothing warmth of gratitude. And my two examples on this are Luke Vestering. Luke Vestering is a, such a tremendous example. And I don't know if he knows this or not, but certainly in the youth group, I don't, not once in six years did I ever hear Luke Vestering complain or say an unkind word about another student. I hope he still acts that way. I, I believe he does. Everything he posts I see in social media is positive and helpful and, and, and building up. Rich Banky, who was out here this morning in the foyer greeting you as you came in. Boy, that guy has a beautiful heart, doesn't he? And he's always smiling. And he's always got something positive to say. You see, we have so many people in our lives. We can, we can get negative. We can focus on the people who do it the wrong way. But if you want to use your tongue in the right way, then focus on the Lukes and the, the Jacobs and the uh, Riches and the Roses and the Mikes and the Drews and the Dennises and others to learn how to use your tongue well. Philippians 4 verse 8 is the verse we want to think about. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, I wonder why Paul said for us to think about such things. Because if you think about positivity, what are you going to talk about? Positivity and good things and helpful things and things that build others up. Use your words wisely. Be thoughtful in how you use them. And more importantly, think before you speak. Now, this is five simple rules that I gave the teens, and, and uh, I think I'll share them with you because I believe they still apply to all of us. If you're turning in your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be. We're going to look at basically three verses from there that will tell us these five rules. When you use your words, stop and ask, are they true, helpful, inspiring, necessary, or kind? Think before you use your words. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 is the verse you're going to look at. Paul says, 
Instead, speaking the truth in love. We will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. And see, there are probably a lot of churches that focus on what's true, but they don't say it in a very loving way. So speak the truth, but speak it lovingly. Number two, is it helpful? Not every true thing needs to be said, which is a lesson you must teach your children. If children are born with the thought, and then they just say whatever the thought they, we have to put that little filter between that says, ah, just because I have a thought doesn't mean I need to say it. Dad, look at that pregnant lady. She is huge. No, 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 son. That may be true, but it is not helpful. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful. Whether you're in a crowd of people, whether it's just you and your family or it's just you and your spouse, If you're not talking about things which are helpful, you might as well close your mouth. Number three, is it inspiring for building others up? Ephesians 4.29, only what is helpful for building others up. We say things that build up others and help them. We don't want to be disingenuous. I'm not asking you to be false, but do things which encourage one another. When the the, uh, teens do their devos, Many times there are a select few of you who will come up to me and, of course, now Mike and say, who was the young man who did that? Who was the young man who led the prayer tonight? Because they did such an amazing job? Probably not. Sorry. But probably the reason that they wanted to know that was so that they could go up to them and say, hey, thank you for doing that. You did such a wonderful job. I appreciate it so much that you had the courage to get up and lead. That encouragement will stay with them. That's inspirational kind of talk. Number four, what is necessary? Ephesians 4.29 says, uh, what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. And you have to think about what people need, not what you need. So it may benefit those who listen. And number five, is it kind? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as God, uh, Christ, in Christ, God forgave you. Use your words not only when you talk, use your words in any element of social media for heaven's sake. If you wouldn't say it to people directly, then don't post it on your Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or whatever. The internet is forever, kids and adults. Have we learned this lesson from any commercial sub-making restaurants in the media these days? The Internet is forever. It's all out there. Once you put it out there, someone's going to find it. So make sure you think before you post it. Today's big idea, God calls us to holy talk. In our culture, Northside aspires to be a people who consistently speak of words of truth, helpfulness, inspiration, necessity, and kindness. Titus chapter 3 verse 2 says, To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Titus 3 2 is who we ought to be, both toward one another and toward outsiders. 
It ought to be our culture. No gossip, no slander, and no tolerance for those that participate. The 11th commandment is something Ronald Reagan instituted 30 years ago. And the basic idea was, thou shalt not speak evil of another Republican. Well, I don't know of your political affiliation, but thou shalt not speak evil of another Christian. They are your brother or sister in Christ. We're going to finish with this verse in James chapter 3. Turn there because you need to hear it. James chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. Now you did, verse 9, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, well, and with it we curse men. I hope you didn't do that. Who have been made in God's likeness. I hope you didn't do I hope you didn't sing praise to God who you can't even see, who you've never even met, and refuse to sit by a person here in this room. Because James says that's wrong. Verse 10, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? No, they cannot. Let our words be consistent with our worship. May our actions reflect Christ in all we do. Let all of our words be holy. Now, like I said, you can't unsay any of those words you regret, but you can repent. You can change your heart. You can say, and I learned to let God control my tongue in a way that is holy. Or if you're not in Christ, the most beautiful way you could ever use your tongue is how Kate Tandy used her tongue last Sunday. Do you believe that Jesus is the Lord and Savior? Yes, I do. If you make that good confession and put him on in baptism, you can know Christ and let him reign over all your life, over every part. If you have any need, please come as we stand and sing.